Beginning tonight, we'll begin to study the book of 1 Corinthians. Edgar Allan Poe, uh, the story of Edgar Allan Poe is the story of a man, the biography of a man who went from riches to rags. He really had everything at first. He was raised by foster parents who gave him the very best. They really loved him. They sent him to the finest prep schools in New England. When he graduated from prep school in New England, he went to the University of Richmond and spent some time in the military academy at West Point. He, is, he was unparalleled or is unparalleled as a poet. He had a problem that he never could whip, terrible habit, a habit of drugs and alcohol. He married and right after their marriage, his wife gave birth to a baby. The baby died at birth. Brought tremendous depression to Edgar Allan Poe. He later uh, got TB and was very ill. He developed a relationship with the occult and through drugs and the practice of the occult, he got involved in uh, satanic worship and demons. This led to deep, dark episodes of depression and mental anguish that is absolutely awesome to read about. And he died in the gutter of a wind-swept Baltimore street. And he had literally gone from riches to rags. Kind of like the um, poem, um, The Touch of the Master's Hand, many a life out of tune and battered and scarred with sin, is auctioned too cheap to a thoughtless crowd, much like the old violin. A mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. He's going once and going twice. He's going, and now he's gone. And he died a penniless bum on the streets of Baltimore from riches to rags. Now that's happened to a lot of people. I think you've probably read about many people like that. Know some perhaps. That also happens to churches. And it happened to the church at Corinth. It had as rich a beginning as any church in the history of its time. It was a tremendously successful beginning and it moved into mediocrity. And now the church at Corinth finds its place in the canon of the New Testament as one of the um, uh, most deplorable um, illustrations of what a church is not to be. The first nine verses of 1 Corinthians describes the beginning of this magnificent church. And if you lived in Corinth during that time and you were looking for a church to join, you probably would have joined the First Baptist Church of Corinth. It was highly successful in every sense of the word. That was its beginning. That was the church in its riches and its glory at the apex of its success. 
Now the exposition, I just wanna deliberately go through verse by verse, almost phrase by phrase, through the book of 1 Corinthians. With Bible and hand on lap, you'll follow with me. Paul, called as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now they knew the apostle Paul, he had made his impact and mark upon their life more than any other person. Just the mention of his name caused them to flash back to the time when Paul came to Corinth and, and helped start the church there at Corinth. Everybody knew the Apostle Paul. Uh, as a matter of fact, he spent 18 months in Corinth in the little beginning church, longer than any other, with any other church since his departure or since the breakup with, uh, with Barnabas. And so why is it that he begins to talk about himself like this, called as an apostle? Well, he's establishing his authority and his right to speak for what he's going to say in 1 Corinthians is going to require the authority and the respect that he, that he needs. I mean, in order to listen to what he says and to take what he says, they're going to have to respect his authority, and he's establishing that authority. He says he's called as an apostle. There are three requirements of apostleship. One is that they... An apostle was one who received his commission directly from the Lord. An apostle in the second place was one who was an eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the third requirement of an apostle was that he had this absolute authority, this, this power, this ability to perform miracles and to speak without error. The apostle Paul is establishing his right to speak. He is a called an apostle of Jesus Christ. He uses the term Christ nine times in nine verses. That was the term for Messiah, the anointed of God. He is saying, I am an apostle of the anointed, the Messiah. He's establishing his authority with the Jews. He is called an apostle by the will of God. It is God's will that I am an apostle, he's saying. That is to say, he is answerable to no man. He is establishing his total independence of man. He is speaking by the will of God. And he mentions a man named Sosthenes. Sosthenes, perhaps a close traveling companion or of the apostle, or maybe someone who was kind of like a secretary who wrote down, took dictation from the apostle as he dictated this letter to the Corinthians. Now the recipients. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, and he describes this church of God. It is the church, the ecclesia of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, who are saints by calling. And he describes the church at Corinth this way. They are the ecclesia, those who are the called out ones. At no time does he ever use, is the, does the New Testament ever use the word ecclesia for a building. This building is not this church. You are the church. The church is the people who have been called out. 
They are those who are being sanctified. That is, the word means to be set apart for the service of God. And they are saints by calling. Unfortunately, to, to us, a saint is a statue or somebody in a stained glass window. The word means holy or pure or cleansed. So the church at Corinth and the church at, at uh, Durant is this. They are the people, it is the people who have been called out and set apart. God really wants to use you. And in his eyes, you have been cleansed and made holy and pure. And the objective or the responsibility is to become what we are. That is, to be what we are made to be. To be holy and pure, set apart, called out, to be used in God's kingdom and for God's service. And they lived at Corinth. Now it's significant that he describes, that he uses this city's name. They were in Corinth. It was a common code word, a byword in that ancient world that when you want to talk about somebody who was evil, you talk about them being Corinthicized. Um, it was the description of immorality in its worst form. For Corinth was a city that was unique in its wickedness. It was known for its sexual perversion. It was a seedbed of iniquity. Now he's saying, you are the saints, the purified ones, the called out ones, the, 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 those who have been set apart to be uniquely used of God in Corinth. That is to say that you can be a saint anywhere you live. It's not a matter of location. It's a matter of being what God has made you to be. It's a matter of being what God has called you to be. It's a matter of doing what God has, God's will is for you to do. You can be a saint in Corinth, that's the point. Now what do they need? They need two things, verse three. They need grace and they need peace. Now as this New Testament letter begins to unfold, we're gonna see how, how relevant, how germane to the teaching of the Apostle Paul, this statement is. We just pass it by as a kind of a greeting, grace and peace. It was what they needed most in Corinth. How gracious are you? How gracious are you? Is your life characterized by peace? What was needed in Corinth was grace and peace. Now he describes these people and their, and their, uh, their gifts, their riches, and there are five riches to the church at Corinth. I mean, this was a rich church with an auspicious and glorious beginning. First of all, they were genuinely saved. Look at verse four. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. They were all genuinely saved. And the basis of, the basis for salvation is always by, is grace. For by grace are you saved through faith. And this grace of God was the basis of, the, of their ministry. It was the basis of their salvation and it was the basis of their ministry. What is grace? Grace is the unmerited favor of God. It is the goodness of God extended to man that can never be deserved and never be repaid. 
They were genuinely saved. They had come to salvation, genuine salvation, by grace through faith. Secondly, they were eloquently endowed, verse 5, that in everything you were enriched, that is, endowed in Him in all speech and all knowledge. Now, now an enrichment, or an, and, and the word in the Greek is literally endowment, was a, a, a cash payment upon demand. Now, the endowment of this church was that they were eloquently uh, taught. They're, if you want to find good preaching and good teaching, you went to Corinth. Now, I want you to hang on to this in this introductory message and get this because it's just the heart of everything we're going to be discussing on Sunday night. These people were genuinely saved and they had the best preaching in that ancient world. Now, 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 now consider who happened to preach and teach in Corinth. The Apostle Paul, Simon Peter, and Apollos can you imagine what that was like to go to church at Corinth and hear Paul preach? And he'd get up on Sunday morning and he'd unroll the scroll of Isaiah and he'd teach from it and preach from it. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Now, I love to hear good preaching. I never watch my uh, tape sermons. That I'll tell you something. I, I love to hear good preaching. You know, there's nothing like great preaching, teaching. And just imagine the thrill sitting down and listening to this man teach the 40th chapter of Isaiah on the, on the sovereignty and the majesty of God. And, and listen to him turn over to Isaiah 53 and teach those messianic passages that follow there. And then there was Apollos. And if you read sometime in the 18th chapter of the book of Acts, it says that Apollos was a man mighty in Scripture, and when he confounded, when he confronted the Jews, he confounded them. And the Greek word means he brought them to the ground. He was a powerful preacher and powerful teacher. They were eloquently endowed. They were enriched in Corinth by the best preaching and the best teaching in any church in that ancient world. Third rich, riches of this church. Verse 6, they were faithfully instructed. Look at verse 6. Even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you. Now, now this is the picture here. Not only did these people have the best preaching and teaching, but then somebody took them aside and confirmed them in the faith that is grounded them in the faith. They were discipled. It's an unusual church. Not only did they hear great preaching, but somebody took them aside and grounded them, confirmed them, instructed them in the faith. Fourth, they were all spiritually gifted and they practiced, practiced spiritual gifts in the church. Verse 7, so that you are not lacking any gift you are not lacking any gift. Now, when you went to the church at Corinth, you saw all the spiritual gifts in operation. Now, a few years ago, a few months ago, rather, we, we studied spiritual gifts in the church. And I suppose that of all New Testament uh, teachings that we know the least about, spiritual gifts. In Corinth, they knew spiritual gifts, and they practiced spiritual gifts 
And when you, and what that means is that when you saw the church at Corinth, you saw the body of Christ in operation, all spiritual gifts. And, and fifth, they were prophetically alert, the latter part of verse 7. They were awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. They knew that eternity was near and they were looking for it. Somebody you say, I, I, just, I just love new Christians because when you tell them that the Lord is coming back, they say, where? You know, they think you're, you're talking about right now. Now here's the picture of this church. Everybody was saved. They were eloquently enriched. They had the best preaching and the best teaching. And when they became Christians, they were taken and instructed and they knew all about spiritual gifts and they practiced spiritual gifts and they lived in the anticipation of the immediate, the imminent return of Jesus. Now would you join that church if you lived in Corinth? Of course you were, would. Now what are the rewards of this kind of church? Verses eight and nine. All, I mean, who shall also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. As far as eternity, He said, we shall be blameless and unimpeachable. And as far as, as, as time, they had fellowship with the Son. They, they, when they got to heaven, they would be blameless. And as far as time on earth, they lived in fellowship with Jesus Christ. It's a rich church. Now what are the areas? I see four areas of application. These areas of application, and then we're through. First, first truth or principle. No amount of wrong or weakness need to take away our gratitude for others. Would you read with me verse 4 again? I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. Now, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter and he knows all about what's going to happen here in the next, past, next chapters that we're going to read. And we're going to find some of the worst kinds of uh, things happening in the church. And yet he thanks God when he remembers them. No amount of wrong or weakness. We need to take away our gratitude for others. For the mark of genuine Christianity is love in spite of weakness. Can you love those who are weak and wrong. Second principle. This passage must teach that the basis of anything we are or do that is worthy of praise is grace. The basis of anything that we are or do that's worthy of praise is grace. God's favor in your life. You didn't earn it. You certainly don't deserve it. And you can never repay it. Everything that's worthwhile in your life that's good 
is because of grace, God's grace, marvelous, infinite, matchless. Third principle. A rich, impressive beginning is no guarantee of the same continuing. Now folks, this is a rich church. You've had a rich endowment. There have been some marvelous people who have taught you and have preached to you. And you have had some great instruction in the faith and you have been witness to spiritual gifts practiced here. And there's some godly people who live in, in the light of an eternity here. You have a rich heritage as members of First Baptist Church. Let me tell you something. There's no guarantee that that will continue. Every day, every week, we live on the cutting edge, on the line between mediocrity and power. And because we've had a good beginning, doesn't mean that it will continue. God can take away His hand of anointing and power from us in a minute. Fourth application. No amount of carnality or failure can ever remove our blameless acceptance of God's presence. That means that whatever you do, wherever you go, God's not going to give up on you. Now, He may take away His blessing from your life, and He may remove His power, His hand of power from your life and His anointing of your life, but He'll never forsake you or abandon you. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the example and the truth that is in your word. And I pray that you'll help us to recognize the solemnity and the seriousness of being a follower of Christ and the church that's been called out set apart to serve God and help us to know, cause us to remember, make us to be aware that if we do not serve you, accept the responsibility to which we have been called and chosen, you'll find someone else to do it. And I pray tonight that you'll 
confirm in us our commitment and our faith to do that and be that to which we're called. Because I pray in the name of Christ and for His sake. Now we're going to have an invitation tonight. In fact, we have three invitations. One invitation is to the invitation for one to give his heart and life to Jesus Christ in salvation. The second invitation is for those who would want to join the church, place their life in the fellowship of believers, the called out ones, those who are unique from the others of the world, or the invitation of recommitment, rededication of your life. David will lead us in one stanza or two stanzas. We'll invite you to come if God leads you to these invitations. While we stand, you come.